Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Christmas, at least the way we experience it in the culture, is for kids. I suspect, in fact, that if we were to write that on a banner, Christmas is for kids, and run it up the the flagpole, most of us would probably salute. Anita and I were reminded of that a week or two ago. We were down near the beach, and we went to one of the malls there, and we were wandering around the mall, kind of remarking on the fact that there was hardly anyone there. We came to the center of the mall and found the Christmas display. It was large, and it was beautiful. Large tree filled with lights and beauty and color, gated off area, decorations inside, and then off to the side, but very prominently displayed, the bench with Santa seated on it. There he was, his red suit, white beard, kind face, looking at us. We were about the only ones around. One of us said, we ought to take a picture with Santa. My wife's husband essentially said, Christmas is for kids. And then we were rescued by a family that came by pushing a baby carriage. I couldn't quite tell if there was a baby in the carriage, but there was an older one outside who, I don't know, three years old, four years old, I'm not sure how old he was, but as soon as he saw Santa, it's as though every nerve in his body jangled. He was up on tiptoes and pointing, Santa, Santa, Santa. And I thought Christmas is for kids. But Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is for the emotionally mature, whatever your age. Now, when I say Thanksgiving, I'm not just referring to the fourth Thursday of November where we gather around the table and have our priorities of faith and family and food and football. I'm not just referring to that experience. I'm not referring to the experience annually that comes where it is said one species ceases to gobble and another begins. I'm rather referring to the act of thanksgiving, the giving of thanks, the expressions of gratitude. Christmas may be for kids, but thanksgiving is for the emotionally mature. So the question seems obvious then, what exactly do you mean by emotional maturity? So I I did something probably a lot of us are doing these days. I sat down at my computer and I typed into my AI chat, what are the signs of being an emotionally mature person? Now, Now, AI is not emotionally mature, just so we're clear. It's just reporting on what's out there. And it was things that I expected, having read other literature about it. It said emotionally mature people usually are able to maintain long-term and healthy relationships. They're able to set and maintain healthy boundaries. They're able to moderate their emotional experiences so that they're not controlled by their emotions, but are able to express them appropriately. They're able to deal and manage with conflict and differences with other people. They're able to provide for themselves. All the things I expected might be there, except for one. One was missing. But the one that was missing there, I think, is found in today's story in Luke's Gospel, the 17th chapter. Because I think among these ten men with leprosy, there is one 
the one who came back, who gives evidence of being emotionally mature. So we go to Luke 17. Now Luke will start the story with a a brief line that reminds us where we are in Luke's gospel. He says, now Jesus was on his journey to Jerusalem. Jesus has been on that journey since Luke 9, almost eight chapters. Back toward the end of Luke 9, Luke says that Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. He's going to journey there because he has a date with destiny at a place called Calvary. And throughout the intervening chapters, Jesus continues on that journey. He gives us just a brief reminder here in this story, we're still on the journey. We're still on the way to Calvary. And then he tells a story about an event that transpired on the borderland of very troubled relationships. Troubled then, profoundly troubled now. And in the midst of all of that, we find someone who was, I would suggest, emotionally mature. Luke 17, starting with verse 11 Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, When he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Luke tells the story with vivid verbs, with movement. There are little popcorns of verbs that describe the action that transpires. In fact, the whole tale could probably be told with just four statements from the story. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one came back, praising God. That's the story. That's the entire story. But it pulls us up short because Luke is a master storyteller. And in the midst of all the action, he includes just one little phrase. Storytellers, as we read them, as we listen to them, have a capacity to upset the apple cart, to upset the equilibrium, to cause us to listen because there's something in the story that surprises us. This would have been the element that would have surprised Jesus' listeners because in the middle of all the action, suddenly Luke writes one phrase. He scratches it onto the parchment with these words, and he was a Samaritan. We're so accustomed to the language, so accustomed to the names that it doesn't hit us between the eyes as it would have hit the listeners and the readers in Luke's day. 
Of all the people you would have expected to be the star of the story, it would not have been him. And yet he's the one that came back. And in that action of coming back, I would suggest to you that he reveals something of who he is internally. Because the truth is, gratitude, true gratitude, has a lot less to do with what's outside of us than it has to do with what's inside of us. And by his action, he shows us what is inside of him. He's an emotionally mature person in this sense. And that's what AI, at least the one I use, left out. Emotionally mature people are grateful. In fact, I first came across that concept from somebody speaking on this very platform. Somebody named William Loveless. Mark, Sonia, you remember Dr. Bill? I remember that day when he from this platform said, gratitude is the mature emotion. Gratitude is the mature emotion. Think about it. There are so many other emotions we can experience and express that require no emotional maturity. In fact, in some cases, the less emotional maturity we have, the more they get expressed. I had in my notes, as one example, when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, this morning, on the way to church, early in the morning, dark, not many people around, I came to a corner where somebody else was not expecting anybody to be around and ran the stop sign, and we almost collided. We both swerved. I hit the horn. That stab of fear, that didn't take emotional maturity to feel, and neither did what followed it doesn't take emotional maturity to feel angry when you're in your doctor's office and your doctor looks at you and says we need to get this biopsied and probably sooner rather than later that tightening of your gut that sense of anxiety doesn't take emotional maturity to feel or to express Or what about a few days, several weeks down the road when the kids are yanking open the packages and they jump up dancing and squealing with excitement because this is the gift they wanted. That excitement, that joy doesn't take emotional maturity. Christmas is for kids. But Thanksgiving, true Thanksgiving, is for the emotionally mature. And that's what grabs me about this story. Because the nine are the ones who we would think when we read the story, they're the ones that are going to be very grateful because they got it all back. They lived as part of the dominant religion. They were part of the in crowd. They could go into the temple, into the synagogue. They could worship. They had the run of the place. They were the ones when leprosy set in, who lost it all, pushed to the margins of society, knowing the sting of rejection, knowing the pain of loss of relationships, knowing the deep loneliness that set in, knowing the shame that descended with every piercing cry of unclean, unclean. They'd lost it all. So when on the way to the priests, their flesh turned healthy and whole again. 
They got it all back. They could pull up to the Thanksgiving table. They could go into church and sit among the crowd. They no longer had to cry out anything other than good to see you again. They had life again. There was reason for profound gratitude. The Samaritan, when his skin began to lose its feeling and the sores appeared and the flesh sloughed off, When he had to cry unclean, yes, he lost a healthy life. But understand, as a Samaritan in that time and place, he would have known the sting of rejection. He would have known what it meant to be pushed to the margins. He would have known what it was to not be included. He would have had the experience of being told, you can't come in here. When he went toward the holy places of God. Having his flesh, his health restored, changed none of that he got his health back but he didn't have the rest so he of all of them we would expect to say thank you but yeah I'm still in the same shape I was in before but he's the one who came back and I think of Dr. Bill saying gratitude is the mature emotion. Now to be part of the nine, we tend to think, we tend to think that if we look into the heart of the nine, maybe our own hearts, we'll find selfishness, arrogance, maybe narcissism, maybe anger, maybe an uncaring attitude. And that's possible, but I would suggest that what we are more likely to find are things like good intentions and busyness and forgetfulness and just not taking the time to notice others. That's more probably what the heart of the nine looks like. Probably ought to make us ask ourselves some questions. I jotted down a few How many unwritten thank you notes are on your to-do list or mine? When was the last time we said to our spouses, thank you for all you do to make our household function? When was the last time you, boss, said to your employees, thank you for so, so much for your hard work. You make our company great. When was the last time, kiddos of all ages, we said, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. When was the last time you said thank you in a generously tangible way to those who serve us at restaurants, help us load our luggage at the airport, or serve us hot drinks at cafes? When was the last time you raised the pay beyond what was asked for the person who mows your lawn? When was the last time you gave a handsome Christmas bonus to someone who helps you around the house, around your orchard, around your neighborhood? And when was the last time you took an extended period before God just to say, thank you, God. Thank you. 
I tend to agree with the words of Brennan Manning, who in an interview said this, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, nor between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When someone is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful so that we then become grateful. We're grateful, and that makes us joyful. It's a choice to be aware an evidence of emotional maturity. So, 20 years ago, I kept it in my files. Back in 2003, from the London Times, a simple story drawn from the Associated Press about letters that end up in the undeliverable department of the post office in no less than the city of Jerusalem. Listen to what the article said. We have hundreds of thousands of letters sent either to God or Jesus Christ. And for some reason, they come to Jerusalem, said post office spokesman Yitzhak Rabihia. In one letter, an Israeli man asked God for 5,000 shekels, about $1,000 at the time, 5,000 shekels to ease his poverty. Postal workers were so moved that they took up a collection, collected 4,300 shekels, and sent it to him. Rabihia explained, after a month, the same person wrote to God again. But this time he wrote, thank you, God, for the contribution. But next time, don't send it through the post office. They're thieves. They stole 700 shekels. <laughs> Just gazing in to the heart of the nine. But that one who comes back, there is something that motivates him to a, a, an appreciation for his circumstances, however difficult they might be, and for the fact that that Galilean rabbi did something that had changed him, had restored health to him. And so he comes back in the middle of what will continue to be a challenged life to say thank you. Fleming Rutledge, the, the author, says this, and I agree with this. The life of thankfulness, biblically speaking, is lived in view of the hard things of existence. As the life of thanksgiving deepens, we discover that more mature prayers of thanksgiving are not those offered for the obvious blessings, but those spoken in gratitude for obstacles overcome, for insights gained, for lessons learned, for increased humility, for help received in time of need, for strength to persevere, for opportunities to serve others. The life of gratitude, true gratitude, evidences a mature soul inside. Thus we could say Christmas is for kids, but Thanksgiving is for the emotionally mature of whatever chronological age. I will have to say, I've been around the block a few times in life. And as I make the rounds around the block, I discover that each time around, my gratitude for my parents deepens. I've come to places in life where I've thought, okay, where were mom and dad when they were the age I am now? And almost without fail, deeper understandings emerge and greater gratitude grows. 
Things that in my teens I might eat, not even said thank you for. In my 20s, I was more likely to say thank you, Mom. I appreciate it, Dad. My 30s, 32, 34, 36. By then, I'm being much more grateful in my expressions. And by the time I reach 40, my age now, I have become very <laughs> grateful, recognizing what they did in bending the twig in a Godward direction. There is something that happens to the person in the act of giving thanks. And that's evident in this story. Because two people are directly affected by the fact that the Samaritan came back to say thank you. The first one that is affected is Jesus. Jesus is affected. Because we can read right there in the story that Jesus himself comments on it. It's almost a plaintive statement where he looks at this man kneeling before him saying, thank you for what you've done for me. He looks at him and says, weren't there ten of you? What happened to the other nine? For every moment that we have sacrificed, any one of us, to give a gift of meaning and importance to someone else, to which the other person hardly said thank you, for every one of those moments, we can recognize that in Jesus. Jesus saying, what happened? Did it not matter to them? Did they not care? It affects Jesus. Secondly, it affects the man. There's something curious that happens in this story. I sometimes wonder and sometimes wrestle with certain words in the original and certain ways that the writer has told the story. Is this just happenstance? Is this a Freudian slip? Is this a very thoughtful insertion of a word? Because in verse 14, as they go to show themselves to the priest, Luke writes, and they were cleansed. The word in the original speaks of certainly being healed, but it also speaks in a, in a very real way of ritual purity. In a sense, it's saying they were cleansed. They were now restored back to their former life. They could go where they wished. They had to no longer shout unclean. They could go to the temple. They were back to life as it was. They were cleansed. But when the Samaritan came back and knelt before him in gratitude, the last line of the story, Jesus says, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Three words in the English, one word in the Greek. It's a word that also can be translated healed. So what's happening here? I want to read you the words of New Testament scholar Clinton Arnold who says of that verse, your faith has made you well. The Greek says, your faith has saved you. While the Greek verb sozo is often used by Luke of healings, here there's probably the added dimension of spiritual healing. While all ten were healed, only one was saved. Because that same verb, sozo, can not only be translated heal or saved, it can also be translated made whole. 
So that Jesus is saying to him, all of you were cleansed, ritually cleansed. You can go back to your life as it was, but you, in coming back, your faith has made you whole. There is something in you that has happened because you said thank you. You were made more emotionally mature, more complete as a person. Your faith has saved you, grown you, made you whole. It is true, isn't it, that Christmas is for kids, kids of all ages. I love it the same as you do. When the trees go up, the lights go on, the carols play. The joy, the festivity of the season is in the air. It's a wonderful season for many. But understand this. In the way we tend to celebrate it in our culture, it requires no emotional maturity. But Thanksgiving, the act of giving thanks, that's not for kids of every age. It's for the emotionally mature of every age. And so the story says that the teacher told the kids, "Won't you take out some paper or pencil? I'd like you to write down what you think are the seven present wonders of the world. You can draw on the others, what they say are the seven wonders of the world, or you can come up with new ones. What do you think are the seven present wonders of the world? And so the kids begin to scribble. When she noticed that they were dying down in terms of their activity, she said, okay, we're going to put them up on the board and we're going to vote. We're going to decide what the seven present wonders of the world are. And so they began to call them out and they went on the board and they voted. Here's the list they came up with. Seven present wonders of the world, Egypt's Great Pyramids, the Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, and China's Great Wall. But while they were voting, teacher noticed there's one little girl back there who was still writing, never looked up. When they were done, she called on her, Susie, what, what, what's going on? Well, teacher, I just can't decide. There are so many of them. Well, okay. Why don't you tell us what you have down, and then we, maybe we can help you decide. She said, okay. Here's what I have right now. I think the seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to feel, to laugh, to love. Christmas is for kids of every age. But Thanksgiving is for the emotionally mature of every age. And for that reason, God, we thank you. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you not for all things, but in all things. Because even in the hard times, we have community, family, 
and you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.